Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Can you believe it? White Wine Question Time is playing live in the West End of London at the Leicester Square Theatre and we would love you to come and join us. Come and raise a glass on the 13th of November. We've got the cast of Dumb Breeding. Joining me on stage will be Julie Graham, Alison Newman, Tracy Ann Oberman, Tamsin Outhwaite, Angela Griffin and Denise Welsh. We'll be raising our glasses from four till six. Why not come and pop your court with us? Tickets are available now from Ticketmaster, Live Nation, wherever you get your tickets. Just a little heads up, this week's episode of White Wine Question Time features conversation that focuses on rape and sexual abuse. If you've been affected by rape or sexual abuse, please contact rapecrisis.org.uk where you'll find full details on how to talk to trained, skilled listeners. On with the show. Hello and welcome to White Wine Question Time, the podcast that asks its guests three thought-provoking questions over three glasses of wine. My guest this week is a woman who started her television career over 30 years ago after being promoted from the boss's PA to Weather Girl on TVAM. From there, she headed over to Saturday Night TV with Gladiators before cutting her comedy chops and holding her own on Shooting Stars alongside Matt Lucas, Bob Mortimer and Vic Reeves. She spent the first 12 years of her life living in her native Sweden and when her mother left to move to England when she was just eight years old, she was forced to grow up fast, caring for her father and her siblings. Hers was not an easy childhood and she joined her mother in the UK four years later and it's been home ever since. Despite her many professional achievements, they've often been overshadowed by her private life, which has to be said has been eventful. From her three marriages and their subsequent breakups, the fact that her four children have different fathers, her account of being raped as a young woman, her public assault at the hands of then-boyfriend Stan Collymore, her affair with a gladiator, and then years later, England football manager Sven Goran Eriksson, the fact her second husband was the prize on Mr. Right, a dating show she was actually hosting. I mean, I could go on. It's been a lot. And through it all, though, she has never shied from talking about what's going on in her life with an honest, intelligent, frank, no-frills directness that she credits as being entirely, typically Swedish. It was this that went some way to her being voted the winner of Celebrity Big Brother in 2009, which was, let's face it, the ultimate popularity contest. These days, she writes a column for The Sun every Saturday and has appeared on Dancing on Ice, Celebrity Masterchef, First Dates Hotel, and most recently, SAS Who Dares Wins. So let's dial her up. It's Ulrika Johnson. Hello. How are you? Uh, I'm all right. Not too bad. 
Yeah, so I forget half of the things that I've done, not in my private life, but like professionally. And sometimes if people ask me what I've done, I just go, I can't remember. Oh, yes, I did that. That's right. So, <laughs> but yeah, so thank you for the reminder. <laughs> yeah, so actually quite a few guests have quite a strong reaction on the show when they sit through their intro because it is a bit of a Rolodex through their life, I suppose, isn't it? Mm. But it was also very empathetically done because so often, obviously, I've um, been the subject of, of sort of, um, you know, press speculation and, and sometimes rubbish, sometimes truth. Um, and so you're always looking for, I saw something yesterday online and it was something, to, I'd commented on something and then they went, Ulrika's lost loves through the ages I was like first of all you make me sound like a dinosaur and also I didn't necessarily lose those loves they lost me like hello it's always that whole kind of like unlucky in love narrative that people like to take I guess so yeah as I researched this interview it was like looking at old photographs when you wear terrible clothes that no longer look right. Because when you look back <laughs> at how your life has been reported, it feels horribly dated in terms of the way you were often written about or treated. Mm. You've also, alongside that, you've always remained incredibly outspoken, sharing things publicly that others at that time would have shied away from. So for example, when so many women didn't speak up about their experiences of sexual abuse, you spoke and wrote about being raped. Mm. Uh, you've publicly challenged uh, ageism, sexism, misogyny, and most recently spoke about living in a sexless marriage. And in doing so, at times you've been treated and judged way harsher, I would suggest, than a man would have been in your shoes. And in hindsight, um, I think mm. in ways which would be deemed as unacceptable now. So my question is, where does that voice come from, the one that refuses to stay quiet, no matter what the pushback and response? Ooh. Gosh, massive easy, question, but, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boom. Where to start? Well, first of all, I guess predominantly, I guess my voice comes from my Swedishness. So being mm. brought up in Sweden, as you said in your intro, up to the age of 12, um, Sweden is probably one of the most egalitarian countries in the world. Women have an equal place at the table as men. Women aren't viewed... Uh, at a lesser level or aren't marked differently uh, publicly or and definitely not sort of privately. And so I came to England and I just thought about this the other day. I came to England um, and sort of, although I was only 12, I was fully expecting that, you know, girls and boys, you know, it would be the same kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Obviously it's different when you're a teenager, but as I grew up, I suddenly thought, oh my gosh, you are treated differently because you're a woman. And, but, and I never said anything throughout all those years kind of, of, of growing up and into my 20s and like we've all kind of suffered at the hands of this sort of casual sexism that goes on in the workplace still. Um, and I just kind of shut up and, and then, but inside I was kind of raging and I was like, I don't understand this. This is harmful or childish or damaging or whatever and so my voice definitely I feel I guess fundamentally for me it's about honesty and I like to give of myself so I'm quite happy to say yeah that was a bad move that was a sign of weakness I, I don't want to like judge other people or situations from some sort of moral high ground. So I always think if I share a bit of me, my experiences and how how I feel about situations, it will perhaps it will engender some kind of honesty in amongst other people and they will kind of maybe reflect. I mean that's not the reason I do it. I guess I say it cuz I'm a bit gobby. I don't know, but I try and do it in a nice way. I don't want to kind of, I don't need to be. You obviously care and, you know, knowing you're not, you, you know, you're, you're super smart. So, you know, if you speak up on something, you know, there'll be pick up and attention and maybe challenge. So you mm. have to pick your battles and, and yet you've raised many over the years and it never seems to dim your lights when people push back at you. Uh, well, I have to say it's every time 
I write something or say something, I do feel I'm prepared. You know, there is a kind of really difficult exposure that you have to kind of come to terms with. And I'm quite thin skinned, believe it or not. I do take people's comments and whatever. They they do hit home and they, they can be really hard for me to kind of deal with. But it doesn't change what I need to say. It doesn't change the picture that I'm trying to sort of paint or what I'm trying to describe. So, yeah, I do get I do get kind of I walk away a little bit kind of damaged when people but that's part of kind of I guess that thing of wanting to be liked by everybody and realizing at 54 that ain't gonna happen you're just not going (laughs) to be liked by everybody so but you have to remember that you don't like everybody so that's okay you know yeah that's just human nature isn't it yeah, yeah, it is. I think it's just, I think it's a hard and a, and a slow lesson. Although some people, uh, you know, that I look at that are so thick skinned and don't care. And they're like, mm. you know, you can't be insulted. And I'm like, I'm in awe. I'm like, well, and then I think, oh, I want to be like them. And I finally now at my age sort of suddenly realized that actually I am me and I have to start liking and approving who I am rather than always wanting to be uh, something that I'm, that I'm not but um but yeah no I do I I think the the honesty and that genuinely does come from the kind of the Swedish thing I think think that there is nothing simpler than the truth there's nothing simpler than honesty of course it's massively complicated because you're often kind of planting a bomb somewhere that's going to go off or whatever but but it's I always try and instill that in my children is that you know if you're honest, you can't, you can't be at fault for telling your truth or what it is that you feel. It may not be viewed as correct or right by other people. But yeah, I feel like honesty is such a fundamental part of, of, of my character and personality. And I I guess either that's who I am, or that's just part of the Swedish soul in me. I don't know, maybe a mix of the two. The Americans call it pushing the envelope. Oh, yeah. When you, you know, she really pushed the envelope. (laughs) When you bring a conversation to the table that's contentious or difficult. Mm. So when I was reading back on on your life, I mean, when you wrap the Me Too movement around this now, it feels feels very uncomfortable. When you wrote about being raped as a teenager, the response, certainly on on a sort of press level, was quite, there was quite intense speculation around it. Um, People were sort of saying things like, well, why didn't you go to the police? Um, you know, in other words, you were, you said you felt that you were as a woman somehow at fault mm. with that response. Is that right? Uh, that's a hundred percent, uh, correct. So that was in my autobiography, which came out, what, 2002 or something. So a hundred years yeah. ago. That's um, nearly 20 and, years ago. Yeah. Yeah. And, and the, the, the rape took place and I was what, 19, so whatever year that would be, nine eighty six something like that there was no Mm. such thing as date rape in those days in Mm. those days it was still okay to rape your wife you can still force yourself on your wife effectively nobody talked about these things so the reason I brought it up in my autobiography was because this was something that happened to me and it helped shape who I am all our experiences shape who I am it wasn't like um either an attention seeking thing it's part of my makeup and how uh, how it maybe changed my relationship to sex or my relationship to men mm. so it's really yeah. important so obviously years on after that when the when it came out in my autobiography it it very much became a thing as you said about why didn't you go to the police it did not even occur to me it would not even occur to me that if you were meeting somebody and and in a hotel room and which sounds really seedy but you know i completely felt like i had not didn't have a leg to stand on and i kind of felt like you almost felt like you had kind of invited it or it it you had kind of i guess helped make it happen and that was that's part of the whole story that as women we've been living with for decades Mm. centuries 
which is the fact that we haven't had a voice and nobody has really spoken up. And if you have spoken up, the patriarchy has always shut us down and like, don't make a fuss, get back in your box kind of thing. So uh, if it had happened, to, if it happened to me today, I mean, number one, yes, I would go to the police. Number two, the state of, uh, you know, rape prosecutions would probably also put me off. So, I mean, I, mm-hmm. I, I'm still at that stage where I'm going, what would I do and how would it, how would it feel? So I think we've obviously moved on massively, but equally, you know, the hard legal facts uh, speak volumes about where we're, where we're still stuck, mm. I guess. Absolutely. You know, and there was also um, reports of, of around the time that you were um, attacked by Stan Collymore. And what mm. I'd, I, I was literally read with kind of sort of wide eyes um, was this sort of, again, inference that because you were drunk or had been drinking um, and then they supplied kind of information around it, like some people reported that she was, you know, dancing, uh, dancing and took her top, and off. Took her top off. Which, which you say wasn't true. But no. the fact is they reported that. And the inference is, is that, well, she was drunk. It's a bit like... She was know, asking she was for asking it. asking for it. Yeah. Yeah. No. And, I mean, that would not sit in a, in, in, on any kind of news title or news website now. It definitely wouldn't. But that must have been very difficult, Ulrika. Yeah, I think uh, all these kind of episodes in your life, you box up and, and you sort of put them away. I, I held on very strongly to my truth and the fact that there was hundreds of witnesses and a camera crew there. Mm. Um, the fact that I'd had a drink should not make any difference. So I was Whatsoever. happy drunk. I wasn't pissed, pissed out of my head. Uh, I was happy drunk. Uh, I was with somebody um, who had just threatened to murder me. He's going to kill me, uh, you know, and then asked to speak to me. Um, and then it happened very, it all happened very quickly. But after that, yes, you're absolutely right. The The inference was very much about, you know, she's lively. Your behavior. She's, yeah, yeah. my behavior was, she's lively. She was in a pub. I was downing a pint. Yeah, you mustn't do that. And so, and so what? But nobody said, what was his state of mind? What was his behavior that evening? But what did he do? I mean, it was witnessed. I mean, it was it was it was a it was a kind of a public event. I was very lucky that it didn't happen privately because I don't believe, I I don't know how or if I would have come out of it because you know I was lucky. There was other people that it took you know two men to, to restrain this person. Yeah. Um, so. In many respects, I was I was really lucky. But I also afterwards, a few years after that, spoke to some, not some, but a couple of sort of premiership footballers that I knew. And they said, well, exactly what you said. We heard you took your top off. And uh, you were kind of like, you were really goading him. And I was just, I was just flabbergasted. And I didn't even go into any kind of defense or anything because I just felt that's just an uphill struggle. I'm not even gonna, I'm not here to convince you of what happened. I know very well, but also, I mean, granted, you know, the, the football world is very, very masculine. It's very male. It's very, very testosterone fueled. So, you know, I would hear stories. Others, yeah, but you know what? You and I have both raised boys. They they will be neither of those things because they know it's unacceptable. Definitely not. So yeah. it's, you can't you can't excuse that kind of idiotic abuse because they live in a masculine world. Yeah. yeah. Well, no, it's a historic thing, and it still goes on. I mean, there's still. Mm-hmm. I've actually, I've actually stopped following football I will follow the football when the world cup is on and when the euros are on I am there I will watch every game uh well you know <laughs> work permitting um but I've st- I've given up on uh the premiership or whatever it's called now because I just felt that world is just whilst I love football everything sort of around that world just gave me a kind of bad taste in my mouth so when those those premier league footballers kind of said that to you 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 felt deflated defeated you didn't challenge them you 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 know 
You didn't think, I didn't challenge them. No, I mean, I, I mean, the, it's like, it, it's like Chinese whispers. They've mm. heard from someone who's heard from somebody, you know, it becomes that kind of thing. But also, is it a case of like, you just being tired of having to try to justify and explain yes. something that to other people makes absolute sense? It's that we're tired thing. Yeah. And I think that that's actually something that, that, uh, many women identify with I'm actually just exhausted with constantly either explaining yourself justifying yourself or trying to convince someone of something and it just mm. felt like you know I said my little piece and then parked it um I mean what would have been smart would have been to have started some kind of campaign like the me too move like me too mm. or, or even the casual sexism uh project or whatever it's when I think back now I just think god you know you should have said something or you should have done something but I guess you did though like, like you you you, yeah. ex you explained on a you know on a public level what had happened to you so you did speak mm. up. You, you didn't, I mean, there was no denying it. It was captured, wasn't it? Um, mm, and like yeah. you say, you had plenty of witnesses to support what had happened. Um, but at, at that time, it must have been, uh, with those those kinds of comments being pushed back at you, um, very difficult because there's no justifying a man raising his, or anybody raising a hand to another human being. Mm. Um, you, you can't justify that behavior. I think... Um the way that I framed it was very much that for anybody who's been in an abusive relationship, uh, they'll know that it's not just one part. It may not just be a physical part. And this man had never raised a hand to me before this moment, but his psychological, no, but the psychological control and the, the abuse that he caused during the course of our on off I can't even call it a relationship because it really was not into it really wasn't um that was more damaging to me than what has happened to me physically so I uh it took me kind mm. of longer to get over uh, to get over what had gone on before the kind of never knowing where I stood or what was happening and the constant pushing and pulling and the, the control and the, you know, trying to withdraw me from my friends, all the things that are classic kind of, you know, abusive relationship things. Um, bit of coercive control. I mean, nobody'd heard the yeah. term coercive control in those no. days. I mean, I didn't even know, not that that happened, but you know, the whole thing about financial control as well, that did not happen when, when I was in this situation, but I didn't even kind of, think about that 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 would be and, and all I know is that you know members of my family my agent who was a very close friend um just said you changed so dramatically over that time you just became a completely different person because I was on edge the whole time I was constantly tense and hyper and insecure and didn't I just completely lost myself so when the um kick in the head happened um that to me was like that, those bruises they went away but the stuff that had gone on before was was kind of harder to process because again being a woman I naturally went well what did I do to invite that what, what was my responsibility uh and which is kind of a weird way of 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 framing it but yeah because I you would never allow your your daughters to 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 think like that well you would certainly wouldn't encourage your daughters to think like that no were no, they no. you know unfortunate to be in that situation so i you know yeah. when when you look back on on what you had um going on in your life and how public it was and how you wrapped a narrative around it you always provided an account from your side um actually mm. there weren't very many women in in the public eye doing that at that time and mm. I think in so many ways a it must have been very lonely but b you were quite ahead of your time um <laughs> quite ahead of your time yeah it's, it's funny somebody said that to me um god I can't remember I don't know if I was doing an interview or having a discussion with somebody and they said you really were 
kind of ahead of your time in 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 many kind of this wasn't a particularly positive light or whatever else but uh yeah doing things differently to to other people and I mean it's it's very funny because the Swedes have an expression and I'm a little bit known up there obviously I've not done masses of work up there but they know of me they know the Swedish girl who's gone over to England and um and when I've done interviews um with them they're normally like super supportive and really sort of mm. admiring and all that stuff and they have an expression and they always say you run your own race and I kind of love that expression it just means that I don't I don't ever sit down in any sort of manipulative way and go right I'm going to engineer this so that I can really strike out and be different from anybody else it's just things happen and this is my instinct this is what I need to do this is what I feel is the right thing to do um and I and I feel like convention just goes to the side it I have to I have to get from A to B and whatever's in the way I will just try and clear that so there's a determination um, I think about my personality. I don't think necessarily that's a self-confidence, but there's definitely a determination um, there. Yeah, I mean, that definitely rings true because because of all the things that we've discussed already, the fact that mm. you, you, you know, you don't you don't lower your voice and um, <laughs> and that's that, and you don't. And, and you're now writing a column where you know, you have to have a big opinion every week about something. Mm. And you seem, um, A, you write brilliantly, and B, you seem very confident in that role now. Yeah, I love, I've always loved writing. So writing, ever since I was about, yeah, I don't know, nine, ten, I, I had this vision, I wanted to, to be a writer, and wrote the most terrible stories about horses and rubbish, you know, just awful. Um, and so writing was always a thing and when I became a teenager and I had quite a strict upbringing when I came to England my only outlet was to write my voice wouldn't be heard in the house um I was too scared to sort of proffer my opinion uh, and so writing sort of uh, writing down my feelings uh was really a great sort of way of offloading um and so it's always sort of been a comfort to me I guess and secondly I love the English language I just I mean you know Swedish is really useful if you want to live in Sweden but it's not really useful anywhere else but the English language is just I just love it so much and I you know <laughs> my favorite book is the thesaurus <laughs> so sad. is it really but no I mean I definitely could like I just I just love it I just think there are so many different ways of expressing yourself. And I think even though I have to have um, an opinion every week in the sun, uh, there's no agenda. They don't tell me what I have to write. Um, but there's, there's nothing like that. It's kind of instinctive or it's whatever comes out at me from the week's proceedings and whatever. But um, but sometimes you're not afraid to turn the story in on yourself. You know, you wrote a brilliant piece alongside your daughter about your fears, um, you know, her father upped and left literally as she came out of surgery with yeah. heart problems at birth. And he's been, am I right, absent ever since? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And then he suddenly finds your daughter and contacts her and mm. you write a piece explaining that situation, which is complicated mm. and difficult. And you did it, you did it in a really balanced and fair way, I thought. Yeah. And then Bo came in and gave her take on it yeah um and I thought it provided a lot of color in an issue that is often seen as terribly black and white mm. yeah and I think that um you know as you grow older and you listen to more people's I'm fundamentally really interested in people's I love hearing people's life stories and I come across so many people who go I never knew my dad or my mum left that's less common but you know um and obviously my mum had left me when I was eight, not, we were still in touch, but she, she left the country. And, uh, but so many people have had experiences or they find out they're adopted when they're adults, all that sort of stuff. And for me, I just thought, 
this is a really kind of important story to tell. And how do I, how do I process the feelings that I have when, you know, when he left, I was so incensed. I was so raging because he was the one who was desperate to have a child. And of course I wanted to too, but you know, my maternal instincts were like that from the age of <laughs> 10. And then, and then I was left holding this baby and, and a sick one at that. And I was so, it took me so long to get over that. And then we got through life without him. And then as, as often happens in life, people pop back in to your life. Um, and, I, and it was really important. I've never really had big, deep conversations with her about it. She's quite a closed book. So when she wrote that piece for The Sun, it was the first time she touched upon many of the feelings that she had. And it was the first time that I'd heard them. So I was really... Wow. Yeah, it was really? quite a, yeah, it was quite a cathartic thing. I'd never heard her say, you know, I would ask him, why did he do this? to me and mum and why were we so bad what couldn't he stand about and I thought wow has this been going on inside you because mm. I've always I'm a I'm a liberal parent but I'm also like I want them to know that they can speak to me about anything at any time and um I think that's like the most fundamental and best parenting thing that I can do yeah get a lot of things wrong but hopefully that's one thing that I can get right but Bo is very closed emotionally I say she's emotionally constipated uh, she really is kind of struggles <laughs> to kind of she doesn't find it easy like me I can go blah, 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 blah. and maybe that's also quite intimidating if you have somebody who just goes blah and, and for her it's like she just closes off so 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 genuinely when she wrote those things I was like wow, wow. and it was a it was a really kind of lovely we're very 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 close anyway but it, it it gave me an insight into what she's feeling. Because my point was, I never wanted to s sort of sully his name in front of her. I wanted her to make up her own mind. I could have spent mm. the past 21 years saying, what an ass. He did this, that and the other. And, you know, talk to her about the pain and all that stuff. But I feel like there will come a time, possibly, where she might want to meet him and it's important that she makes up her own mind at that point. Yeah. And also raises her own questions, right? Yeah. That's what she's arrived at now as a young adult is uh, she's got her own questions. It's not what she's heard parrot fashion at home. Yeah. It's her own conclusions that she's trying to arrive at. Yeah. I, I, thought, I thought it was really powerful. And um, in, in an age where we all live in different iterations of what a family unit is I thought it was it was yeah really really helpful. yeah no it was actually also really lovely to hear her say that I never felt I mean she she she's incredibly close to me and that's because we did a lot of it on our own and she was mm. you know she was potentially gonna die at any moment you know it was that kind of intense relationship so her connection with me is is possibly stronger than my connection with any of the other children purely because of that not because of that I love that intensity anymore. yeah <laughs> love the others any yeah. yeah um but but hearing that she sort of said I didn't really feel like I needed a dad in many respects I think I was both for her and then she also had a couple of really great father figures my ex-husband you know who eventually eventually adopted her um yeah you know all those things were gave her a sense of belonging and th there wasn't that gap or that hole there. And actually, in fact, mm. I think most, a lot of people that I've come into contact with or who have contacted me who have had a situation where a parent has gone or is no longer in their life, the other parent plays both roles, which is exhausting, but but it does mean that you're kind of, you're compensating. And, and sometimes people feel that they're not missing anything that that yeah. I mean well how can you miss something that you don't know I mean it, exactly that yeah, yeah. so he was yeah, never was, there to miss was he no no, no. well I, I think yeah you, you know what as a mum reading her her piece that must have been um emotional for sure but also um incredibly cathartic to know that actually she's she's emerged from it all it, 
robustly, I would say, mm. um, if, if yeah. that's truly how she feels, that you've done a, a marvellous job in a difficult situation. And it's not often we give ourselves enough credit as parents, especially single parents. No. And I, and I think as I always make this <laughs> joke about how I go to bed at night and criticise all the things I got wrong that mm. day during, you know, parenting. Yeah, and as a general rule, and this is terrible, a sweeping statement, blokes go to bed at night and fall asleep. And that's always the analogy <laughs> I used to use. I used to kind of watch my ex-husband just hit the pillow, snore, and I'd be lying there going, oh, God, I should have done that better. Wish I'd done that. <laughs> just a different... Literally ransacking your day yeah. for faults, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Question number two. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different outcome. Uh, we all do it, but to varying degrees. When and how is that true for you? Ooh. I mean, it can be as big, as small as you like. I'm still yeah. taking myself out once a year, pretending I can run, realizing I can't, realizing I hate it and parking it until the next year I forget like a goldfish and do it again. Insane. And do it again. I hate running. Thank you. Hallelujah. I used to do running, but now when I run, it looks like I'm running for help. So I try yeah. and avoid it. And, <laughs> oh, <come on>. and, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Help me. Um, <laughs> I know I really do. And now I've got arthritis in my hips. I mean, basically, shoot me now. Don't shoot me <laughs> never, now. Never, but, never uh, going to happen. <laughs> I think, uh, gosh, you could apply that in so many, I guess, mm -hmm. different aspects. Like, for example, I remember even so dark, because obviously a large part of my life is, is now also about cooking and one thing or another. And many years ago, not many years ago, a few years ago, I was making a wedding cake for my brother and for some reason it just kept not working I think I went through like 54 eggs in the end and clear I was <laughs> doing the same thing and the outcome was the same again and then I had to kind of like cut and paste and make it work somehow and and it was weird just using that sort of analogy in reference to other things in life we're just going but it says I should do it this way. I'm going to do it this way, but it's still not changing. I think in, from yeah. a personal perspective, I guess it could be that my approach to relationships, if we want to get deep and personal, has always been to always give of myself. I, you know, my I wear my heart on my sleeve. I am not scared of showing my emotions. I, I kind of love that first thing when you meet somebody and you feel something and that excitement and I and sometimes it works out really well sometimes 
a few times it works out well. But that whole thing of surrendering yourself to somebody else has been, I guess, in a way, uh, you know, at a at a personal cost. You know, you 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 yeah. do. You know, you sometimes wonder, like, just hold back, just like ease <laughs> yeah. off. Have you, you, you know, not I'm, <laughs> I mean, it's not like I'm some sort of stalker person who's like, yeah, I definitely, I don't chase, but I, but that whole thing of like loving and embracing and being so full of it it's like just temper things just take a breath and take a but step if instinctively back. that is you and that is your response piece. I know that's the that's the difficult thing how do you yeah. unlearn that how do because when it has to do with feelings and when it has to do with emotions so the cake the cake was all about a practicality there was no well, there was emotion involved. I was wanting to make a lovely wedding cake, but it was about practicalities, right? So there was something in the method or whatever. But when you're dealing with emotions, like you say, that's who you are. That's your soul. That's how you function. And I think I spent many years going over things and thinking, you've got to get a grip. You've got to change as a person. And then sort of I guess almost now realizing and really up until now that I am who I am so I have to accept that and when you accept that you also have to accept that you could be doing the same thing and time and time again (laughs) and it leads to exactly the same result but then you have to be prepared to acknowledge that and accept that so that's kind of the, the payoff or the consequence maybe it's kind of the chemistry or the science or the ingredients piece of this, though, isn't it? If you take it away from cake and into relationships, which is, I don't know, maybe maybe this isn't what you think. But ultimately, the hope is that one day you will meet somebody and when you are absolutely authentically your overgiving self, they will just go, that's perfect. That's exactly a good fit for Coming me. to me, and yes. And the two come together. That's what I think. Is it a madness that you keep trying the same thing? <laughs> Well, it would be if you kept trying it with the same person. Yeah. But science would suggest that you are searching in different sort of, you know, chemistry oh, yes. pools. Yeah. Oh, most definitely. I definitely don't. Um, I definitely don't have a type, or uh, I do believe that I've, I've never understood that with women when they go, oh, when I'm looking when they're looking for someone, it's got to be this, that, and the other. And I've always thought, but if if you're trying that all the time like how are you getting any variety in your life how are you learning anything new (laughs) no exactly I mean gosh when you look back over you know your different partners I mean there's there is no type (laughs) a gladiator versus Sven Goran Eriksson and you know Mr. Right in between well you You didn't keep going back for the same sandwich did you Like a bit of tuna mayo, a little bit of chicken. I know. Well, I think that, but that, I think that that's like. I can hear my dog whinging outside. Let me just let him in. Just for a second. Sorry. You can come in, okay, but you can't like whinge about going out again, okay? So you're in now. Can I just ask? Do you think he understood what you just said? Oh, he kind of gave me. Yeah, hi. You gave me a look, didn't you? Yeah, I love that. Of course he understands. I think you've got your best <laughs> relationship to date right there. It's I a conversation with somebody that oh can't talk God. back. <laughs> and who I who I believe understands what I'm saying and believes and that agrees I'm with everything. And goes <laughs> Yeah, he is he's so perfect. And he's really lovely because he sleeps in bed with me and we don't have to have that awkward conversation about when he's leaving in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not there you it's go. You know what? Enough. You found your love. You you gave it your all, and there is somebody oh, right no, there. Absolutely, so you know, but it is dog. true. It is true. Um, <laughs> gosh, what were we saying? Um, the difference in your, the, the men you've dated. <laughs> well, I've always thought that it's. Don't you think this as well that it's it, it's a chemistry? So when you met your husband or if any former boyfriends or whatever else, it's. It, it's a thing that you can't describe. Like I, it, it's mm. something that sort of happens between two people or I go, oh my God, I love his hands. And that becomes like a trigger or, oh, I love the way he laughs or I love his smell. I mean, I'm very instinctive in that respect. I'm not the girl who goes, 
He's got a great job. He drives a nice car. He's right for me. <laughs> if I'd done that, I think I'd probably be in a better place right now. But, you know, yeah, no, I just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you lead from the heart and not the head. Yeah, exactly. And I was going to say it probably goes much deeper than that back to childhood where you just maybe if you didn't feel proper unconditional love in your childhood. And I don't think I did. And I won't be the only one. Um, I certainly was loved, um, but the unconditional aspect of things I didn't feel. So then you're kind of always, you're searching for for that. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're right, because I don't think, you know, you have written about your relationship with your parents and it feels like as much as they loved you, they were ultimately, their choices put themselves first. And as a parent, that's not something I don't think you've ever felt that you would do. No, I mean... Or, do, or have you? I'm putting words in your mouth here, sorry. Uh, well, I'm putting myself quite high up right now for the first time. Yeah. I, you know, Actually, yes, um, by, by, by calling an end to your last relationship, that yeah. was ultimately yeah. you. Yeah, well, that was a massive... Putting yourself ahead of... Would that be the first time, do you think? Um, well, I mean, I brought about the, my second divorce as well, so I guess that was an aspect that I think that was a mutual thing in, in many respects. Um, but yes, in the in my last marriage, which was uh, with the person I genuinely believed, I mean, we were together for 12 or whatever years, that I genuinely believed we would be together forever. Co-parent really, really well, still do, still get on very well, but then just decided that that one aspect, well, it wasn't one aspect, it was many aspects, of of our relationship was not enough to sustain me and again I think I just turned 50 or whatever and thinking you know again that thing of like more years behind you what are you going to do with your life and it was really you know it wasn't something that you make a decision about you know in 20 seconds you know marriage doesn't just end it often has a slow kind of painful painful death but yeah no I'm very much about um now as well you know I've been a mum for 27 years and mm. I which is half my life now yeah what am I 54 maths is rub, rubbish but yeah. I think that's right um, <laughs> and I've all you know for me my life has been about uh family or career there hasn't been that space where I've found like who am I what am I about you know like I know a mm. lot of mums are a lot of mums can be good about you know, go and finding time for themselves. I never did that. For me, it was either a set, had this overbearing sense of duty all the time. So the whole idea of relaxing or doing something away from my children was really foreign to me. Mm. Um, and so now I've been really clear with them and I've gone, just so you know, I'm going to be dating. I'll be here for you forever and for always and in every way that I can, but just know that I am doing some things for myself now. And they were a bit... And how, how was, that, what, how was the, the response to that? They were <laughs> like, a bit gross. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, <laughs> like, oh my God, yeah. my mum has sex TMI. or whatever. But yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. Um, a kind of, I mean, I mean, their age range is so, you know, 27, yeah. 21, 17 and 13. So for the youngest, it's all a bit, when I sort of said this, couple of years ago a year ago whenever it was he didn't really kind of understand I guess he thinks that when a man and a woman meets they get married and that's it and, and that whole concept that you might meet more than one person and and go out and date so to speak was quite um a foreign one to him and why wouldn't it be yeah. all he's seen is his mum yeah. and dad together um totally the other sort of under under understood I think my oldest was a bit like I, I do think I'm a bit cringe for him sometimes, but I'm like, <laughs> but, you know, well, because of what you write about or what you share publicly. Well, um, again, I'm really, I'm really kind of uh, open with them about that too. Like I go, oh, by the way, I'm going to be nude tomorrow in the papers. Yeah. Or I, I'm, <laughs> but just because you're open about it doesn't make them comfortable, does it? Oh no, <laughs> they literally go. They genuinely like. I, I just kind of hear deafening silence at the other end and or I hear the rolling of the eyes 
Uh, oh my god here she goes again I do get uh, Bo actually is normally quite supportive and she goes very proud of you mama which I don't know if it's just a gratuitous throwaway thing but it's lovely to hear I mean the the other weird thing and I we're going into something else now but the other weird thing is my youngest has never really known me being super famous or whatever because I've had a quiet few years and um partly deliberate taking a step away from things um so he doesn't he doesn't know about shooting stars or gladiators or anything like that he will have possibly other people saying oh your mum's famous or whatever else and my oldest will know about those things but he was a baby or a toddler or whatever else so mm. he wasn't really so I think you know while he was young it didn't matter what it said in the papers about me because he couldn't read, read or anything it. but yeah. now of course it, it's a now we live in this digital world where everything's accessible for everyone and you know all that thing so it's kind of they know that they know what I do and if they question anything um and they and I say look just so you know I'm doing a nude shoot like I did a menopause shoot a few weeks ago mm -hmm. um and I was naked for it obviously they covered all the unnecessary bits out all my plumbing but um but I said you know <laughs> just so you know just so you know I will be naked uh, and they go and I go mate do you want to eat right then this is what's happening I'm doing this to feed you on the table <laughs> I strip I so you, you yeah. can eat. <laughs> I am contemplating an OnlyFans. <laughs> just, Why not? Actually, just to piss them off. I think I just you do think, really well on OnlyFans, Ulrika. I you reckon, do I it. mean, it's been, yeah, because I'm, I'm good friends with Kerry Katona and she was the one who was going, you got to do it, we were laughing about it. But no, um, yeah, no, I, it, it does make them cringe. But I, you know, they have to acknowledge that this is what I do. And they also love the rewards of what I do that when I can arrange something special for them because I might know somebody or whatever else so you know shut up <laughs> <laughs> shut up I'm naked shut up <laughs> deal with it <laughs> I know well it is awkward and I guess also it's awkward because you know everybody's situation has changed you know I was married and every we were all together there was six of us at home or whatever else two of them have now moved out in a year's time another one moves out it's just going to be me and one other it's 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 God. that's also kind of like life's changed and and it evolves and yeah. I don't think you're ever prepared for that as a mum because as a mum you just go oh I want to have a baby that's massive actually yeah I want to it's hold a huge the changing of the guard yeah no it's and and very hard for someone um like me who just wanted to have children and have them around now i'm like get them out the way but um <laughs> in a nice way i'll probably miss them when yeah, they're all gone. get them out of the way i'm ready for act three it's yes. called me <laughs> yeah exactly it totally is starring me good for you why not Okay, my third and final question to you, and I hope it's a straightforward one, is um, can you identify a moment that was intrinsic in being the making of you? Gosh. Um, it's not that simple, is it? That is a really brilliant question. I think I've had so many. <laughs> I was going to say, <laughs> there's been so many. Um, but I would say, in a way, this last episode of my life as I am moving into the autumn of my life <laughs> I feel is the making of me because if I hadn't divorced my husband I would still be in a relationship and in a situation and I would not be I would not be forced to learn about myself in the way that I am. I've always, always been very much in touch with who I am, why do I do things, whatever else, but I've never really kind of understood it. So I think it's a feeling for me now of finally being at ease with who I am. And part of that is age, but part of that is also the fact that I am on my own. 
I mean, I have children and I have a supportive ex-husband or whatever else. But fundamentally, to start your life, it feels like to start your life over, not over again, but start that phase of your life. So, well, I've been nearly 51 or whatever on your own is not only terrifying, but has been really cathartic. And I mean, there are other moments, I guess I could say that, you know, maybe when my mum left and I had to just be, you know, take control over things in my my life at the age of eight and look after my dad and and blah, blah, blah. Uh, All those all those things have been like little, well, little steps, some plateaus that have sort of like helped build up the person that I am today. But I do feel uh, sort of, you know, the whole menopausal thing as well. Mm-hmm. I do feel like a different person or that I'm getting to know, more importantly, getting to know who the real person Mm. Well, you've got the time for the first time since the age of eight, because from the age of eight, you have been caring for other people. You married your first marriage when you were very young. You had a child very young. So literally from the age of eight until the age of 51, you were constantly responsible for others. I I think you've earned your right to sit alone and work out who you are. Yeah. No, it's, I mean, some people are so self-assured, aren't they? And they know right from the beginning and they're really cool. And I always envied them. They'd be so, like, knew exactly who they were. And I just felt all over the place. Like, I thought, I'm mm. several different people, all mashed up into into one thing. And then not helped by the fact that I chose a career in the limelight, which then paints you in a certain light. So you have a persona and then you're private, you're very different Um I mean, that's been one of the joys, I know, moving, going off on a tangent now, but it's been one of the joys of, like, I don't, the only social media I do is is Instagram. And that was, that's been one of the joys of, like, going, well, here's a picture of the food I've made or the flowers I've grown or whatever else. And people go, didn't know you like gardening, didn't know you cooked or whatever. And I think, no, there's so much about me that you don't know because, you know, a picture has been... But the mere fact that you have this kind of public, there's a public persona and then there's a, your private self means that, you know, there's been a lot of internal conflict. I think now I feel like I know myself a little bit better. And when making decisions, and I'll continue to make bad decisions, of course, because that's crucial. <laughs> we don't want to have an easy life. But it's also <laughs> life, right? We don't, we don't, none of us get it right all the time. None of us. No. No, definitely. De- well, I'm glad to hear it. Because sometimes you do think no. that you're the only one who gets gets things wrong. But that's that thing of you look at other people's lives. Yeah, you just, you, you don't do anything at all. And you just stay where you yeah. are. And that might not be great. That might not be happy. That not, might not help you, you know, realise your full potential. So there's there's a danger in that as well, stagnating. Mm. Just yeah. Sort of yes, I mean, I mean, that is that is really true. A lot of people will opt for the status quo and I guess Mm. I've never done that and it's not been about oh I don't want to stand still I'm so you know I've been very very happy to live where I live in my little house and just stay away from the outside world but then I've kind of inadvertently even going and doing you know celebrity SAS like that was a really that was a really coin dropping moment because what came out of that what the sort of psychologists, because as you know, every TV show now has to, they have to be psychologically assessed. And the psychologists came out, uh, you know, and just said to me, like, you have to stop and like look after yourself and take time out for yourself. And I remember being told, like, I want you every day to get a cup of tea and to sit down on the sofa for 10 minutes. I was like, what? does that like I should be doing something so now I've I've developed a relationship with my sofa which is amazing and I just never knew so many good things come out of doing nothing (laughs) (laughs) well there you go yeah I mean that's a valuable life lesson right there yeah so actually maybe sometimes being still isn't the wrong thing it's just don't stay still for too long no exactly and and also just not um it's what you're prepared to accept, isn't it? And understanding that everybody has different, a different level of tolerance. So 
you know, I mean, I just wrote a piece about, you know, everyone criticizing Colleen Rooney for staying with Wayne Rooney. And uh, I was like, well, you know, there was a time when I too was like, yeah, why aren't you? Why are you being so weak? And it's like, well, no, she's made that choice. This is what makes her happy. She knows she can go off and do what she wants, but she's made this choice. And that is what brings her happiness. And who are we to judge that? You know, it, it's, a, it's a tough one. It's, it's such an individual thing. Um, I still love the idea of marriage, though. I'm not going to. Oh, my okay? goodness. I promise. Are you, are you really? I promise I won't get married again. <laughs> no, I, I, I promise. Like, well, this is the lovely thing. You. Is, <laughs> this is so, um, that's the massive change, is that I'm no longer, like, looking for the one. I think all my life I was looking for the one, and I'm not anymore. I'm in a completely different place. I feel like yeah. I'm not looking for someone to complete me. I'm looking, I'm not. I don't even know if I'm looking, but like, if there is somebody who wants to walk alongside me, I, I don't necessarily, I can't envisage myself living with anybody or whatever. I kind of really enjoying. But no, actually your relationship requirements are entirely different at this life stage. Yeah. Especially if you, you know, you've had children. Yeah. So actually you're not looking to mate. You're no. looking, um, no. I mean, my, my girlfriends in that same position describe it as the quest for sex dinner and mini breaks yes but this is exactly a psychotherapist friend of mine <laughs> said exactly this she said there's a new kind of breed of women now my age ish who are not doing the conventional relationship things they are doing the best bits they're doing the dating the dinners as you said the holidays and i think it makes things so much easier but still having a sense of you know commitment and loyalty a, a to relationship yeah, yeah yeah absolutely but it's it's um it's funny i think it's yeah. more rip their pants off than wash their pants yes yes <laughs> <laughs> once you've been looking after people from the age of eight i think i think you're ready for that bit now oh my gosh yeah i'm i'm done with wiping asses that's for sure so like <laughs> I don't want to be wiping. You wait, there'll be grandchildren in about yeah. five minutes. Well, and you then see, you that I think will be different. I think that will be different, won't it? Because you oh. can enjoy them in a different way. And I am I am looking forward to that. And it could just be around the corner. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, I, I, I definitely, I think I'll make an excellent grandmother. Absolutely. You are well practised. Yes. And twinkly and naughty. Yeah. Oh, I'm going to absolutely ruin them. <laughs> I will ruin my grandchildren. Ooh, Revenge. Can't help it. Oh, Arika, thank you so much um, for talking about so many things with me today. How has your white wine question time been? Oh, it's been, honestly, it's been like a mixture of um, therapy <laughs> and hanging out with a girlfriend. Like for me, this has just been really enjoyable yeah Good. i mean you know it's it's not been without its challenges i have to say so thank you because we've got to be challenged haven't we <laughs> absolutely but you know what it's it's you know that's something that you that rings out loud and proud from everything i've read about you you continue to challenge and question you remain curious and you're not afraid of difficult conversations no. so more power to you thank you my thanks to Ulrika. Uh, don't forget, you can read her column every Saturday in the Sun newspaper. As always, this show is produced by me, Kate Thornton, with Gabriella Colasurdo and Richard Hatherall for Yahoo UK. Editing is from Libby Knowles Music. Andy Bell, as always, is the man behind the beats. We'll be back next week with more great chat. In the meantime, you know what I'm going to say? Go on. Go on. Give us a rate. Give us a review. We'd really appreciate it if you did. I'll see you next week. Before we go, if you've been impacted or affected by some of the themes under discussion today and want to talk to a skilled, trained professional regarding rape or sexual abuse, then visit the Rape Crisis website to find out more on how you can access the help you need. Their address, rapecrisis.org.uk. Thank you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well. HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. 
Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.